Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. I'm Byron O'Neill, your host for today's show. And today I'm welcoming comics creator Ashley Robin Franklin to chat with me about her new spooky YA graphic novel, The Hills of Estrella Roja from Clarion Harper Collins Books. Ashley, thanks for joining me today. Talk about your project. Thanks for having me. Um, like you said, uh, The Hills of Estrella Roja is spooky uh, queer YA. Um, it's my first graphic novel of this size, and it is based in a fictional rural Texas town. Yeah, which, well, okay, that's familiar to you being South Texan, but let's uh, let's dive right in. You know, I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, there was a bit of a slow burn for me as you kind of develop the, the spooky parts of the story, and a lot of the focus is on these devil lights, right? Okay, so we got to start here. It's Crypto Creator Corner. Um, so the devil lights, as they're called in the book, which are kind of analogous to the, the Marfa lights of your native South Texas. I admit I had no idea what that was about. Um, although I've done kind of my fair share of strange phenomena hunting in my younger days. So tell me about the lights and kind of how they ultimately became the backdrop of your story. I, you kind of noted that in the acknowledgement section. Of it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so like you said, I'm originally from South Texas. Um, the area I'm from is called the Rio Grande Valley, which is um, right by the Mexican border. So Marfa is actually in West Texas, which is about like nine or 10 hours away because Texas okay. is freaking gigantic. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've actually only visited Marfa once and it was for the first time, like a couple years ago, like while I was working on the book, which was kind of cool. Nice. And I did get to see the lights. They were great. Um, really, really strange. Um, but I'd heard about them before and like other, you know, mysterious light phenomenon. Sure. orbs and will of the wisps and all that other kind of stuff um and i also grew up as like a really big x-files fan so okay. that like all definitely played a big part in developing the idea of the devil lights nice well we also have our fair share of cryptids that pop up um including and i hope i pronounce this this correctly la lechusa is <laughs> that okay great and chupacabra um the lechusa particularly i i really really loved um let's tease enough about the mythology to kind of pique everyone's interest without giving too much away. Um, but tell me about the inspiration for including that. I, I think you had mentioned it came from your mom or like around your mom had mentioned that when you were a kid or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, it was the story that she told me that like really stuck with me for years. And I'd always want to do something with the Luchusa um, legend. Um, it's the kind of legend that like moms used to tell their kids to like keep them from staying out too late at night. Mm -hmm. um, and her mom totally told her that story and like I always thought it was so eerie and yeah just like really memorable um so it's like a regional piece of folklore and it's about this like kind of shape-shifting witch that takes the form of an owl and there are a bunch of different versions of the legend that I've heard um and there's this detail from the version that I heard as a kid that I ended up not including in Estrella Roja that I think is like really chilling but it just didn't work out in the story um and the detail is that like in this version if you are walking alone at night and you hear something behind you whistle that mm -hmm. you're not supposed to whistle back that like means it's gonna come after you the okay. lichisa <laughs> okay. which like 
uh, I don't know. There's something about that that's just like so eerie. Oh, no, no. I, I totally get it. Like, I, and I love those family mythology connections. You know, I grew up in East Tennessee and certainly Southern Appalachia has a ton of its own. In my family, that was Tallypo, which um, is this sort of like dog-like sized creature with a long tail and like a sort of demon looking head. Um, so as it goes, it's like always scratching at your window. And I had a, a pine tree outside my room growing up. It would occasionally brush against the window, which scared the crap out of me as a kid. Um, but as a, a South Texas native, was it kind of inevitable that you wanted to set your first like big, big project at home, you know, like draw from the roots? Yeah. Oh my God. Also, that sounds so eerie. I have to look that up later. Oh, Tally Poe um. is, is, <laughs> is great. Like if you want a good comic, um, that it's been in the best I've seen, he, uh, Eric Powell, if you're familiar with Eric Powell's work of like mm-hmm. the goon, um, Oh, on cool. Eisner's and stuff. But anyway, yeah. um, he had a, a comic called Hillbilly and the, the Tally Poe was incorporated in that. So anyway. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I always knew, you know, I wanted it to take place in Texas. Um, the story, just like, it makes sense. Um, and I like, like basing most of my work here in Texas. It's just so big and there's so much, there's just so much to like pull from. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always really liked when authors set their stories in like the same place or the same state or whatever, um, you know, like a Stephen King, like Maine. Right. Um, and I really like when uh, authors are able to let their settings really become like characters of their own. And while I don't specify it in the book, yeah, like I imagine Estrella Roja being set more in like West Texas than South Texas. Okay. And that's really just because like there's so much beautiful desert scenery that I really want to be able to draw just like that's part of that was like a selfish reason like that right um and also like i needed hills and we don't have very many hills in south texas yeah um so that was just like necessary <laughs> and like austin which is where i live now um is in like the hill country mm-hmm. and there's definitely like inspiration in the art from like visits to like beautiful natural areas around here but um there's something about west texas that just feels like really mysterious um, and I've actually, actually accidentally recently set another comic there in West Texas, um, that I'm working on right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Accidentally. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, how did I do this again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it always, it always cracks me up when kind of relative newbies to do the comics business at large, right. Release their due, debut as an entire graphic novel, right. It's nearly 400 pages here. Um, and I interview people who do this and, and to me, that seems so daunting. Like I, scary as hell. Um, but you went to school for English lit and minored in studio art. Have comics always kind of been a part of your life? I'm, I'm just curious about this route instead of like a novel or, or some other, you know, medium. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've always been interested in comics as even as like a kid. Um, and I was like a really big manga teen and tween. Okay. Um, so like those years I was definitely like drawing a lot of like, kind of like Inuyasha ripoff comics and like um, kind of like grungy autobio. And then, uh, yeah, for as far as my education, like there was a time when I was definitely more interested in writing prose. Um, like my college years, I kind of took a break from doing comics. I didn't really read a lot of comics. I mostly wrote like short stories. And the only art I was doing was like in my art classes, like oil painting and stuff. Okay. Um, and then after I graduated, um, I did a semester of grad school for literature and I got like immediately burnt out and kind of depressed. And um, 
I don't know, it was during this time when I kind of just rediscovered comics and like I fell back in love really hard. Um, as someone who's, someone who's always loved drawing and storytelling for as long as I can remember, um, comics just make sense. Mm-hmm. Like I still like painting and I think I'd like to make, to write a novel someday. Um, but like, I don't know, comics just make sense to me. Yeah. Oh, you mentioned manga. Like um, this is something that I've gotten into relatively recently. Um, yeah. Just kind of went and picked stuff up. So, I mean, you got to give me your recommendation, like your fantasy oriented recommendation. Cause I just finished Witch Hat or like the first volume, which I absolutely oh, love. I thought it was amazing. So what you got? What's great? Um, Put you I on the to, spot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have to recommend um, Mermaid Saga by Rumiko Takahashi. There's only two volumes and they're like two like big, like omnibus okay. volumes. Um, but it's some of her earlier work. She's the person who did uh, Inuyasha and Ranma. But it's like fantasy and also has like horror elements that are so surprising and it's really eerie and i don't know it's like one of my favorite manga of all time it's so good okay i have to check it out um well we've talked about the scary bits a little bit here um this is at heart more of a romance story so let's kind of start with cat she's a young college student who's co-hosting a podcast called paranormal texas with her friend clem um so i've kind of set the stage so take over for me and tell me about cat and kind of how she kicks off the narrative yeah, so um, Kat's a bit goofy and, like, kind of chaotic. She's the kind of person who, like, once her, she sets her mind on something, she gives it her all. And she's a true believer in the paranormal and isn't ashamed to declare that to the world. Um, she's, like, really fun to write. And, yeah, she kind of just sets the whole thing off because of her podcast. Um, she gets a mysterious note telling her about some something, something that is going on in Estrella Roja. And she, like, is immediately determined to figure out everything about the town. Okay. Are you into like, are you a believer? Are you into paranormal podcast yourself? Um, I wouldn't say I'm a believer. I'm, I'm not a skeptic. Okay. I'm, I kind of like, I straddle the middle where it's like, I don't know, like I'm open and I'm interested in paranormal stuff, but I'm not like, yeah, like a true believer. Um, and as far as podcasts, like I'm, I think I prefer podcasts that are more about like folklore or myths or urban legends than like, okay. like true, like paranormal podcasts. Um, okay. And I also like fictional podcasts that are like, have like paranormal or, or horror elements a lot. Have you heard of the old gods of Appalachia? I haven't. Oh, got to check that one out. That's one of my favorites. It's a horror anthology podcast. So Ooh. they take from some of the real mythologies of the region and then kind of a sequential, you know, every episode's building off of cis narrative horror anthology concept. It's great. Like, excellent. Ooh, okay. I'm going to put that on my, on my queue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, looking at your other body of work, you know, queer horror romance seems to be a little bit of your wheelhouse, or, or at least currently anyway. Um, you've got plenty of time to pivot. So what's so appealing about mixing, you know, people who want to get it on with the threat of something supernatural completely out to get them? You know, were you into horror as a kid or? Um, so I think horror and romance work like so well together. Um, it makes sense. Like stressful situations can bring people closer together and there's like this intimacy and being afraid together. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just personally really like making horror about or making comics about queer people and like horror comics. Um, that's just like feels natural to me as a creator in the same way that like setting stories here in my home state just feels right. Yeah. 
Um, and I am working on something right now that's also horror, but it focuses more on like friendship and feelings of community, which also feels kind of related. Uh, I just think that horror is like such a great lens for interrogating like relationship dynamics. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, any, so many people that I, I interviewed um, during all our pride month feature and stuff, um, you know, found family, th- th- those bonds are, are just integral to your storytelling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you have a favorite kind of queer horror romance comic um, either you're into now or of the past? So oh, that's really hard. I like you kind of cued me in on this uh, question earlier and I was like racking my brain trying to think of like a good one. And I know that later it's going to come to me and I'm going to like be so annoyed at myself. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but like not exactly romance, but definitely like gothic and kind of erotic. Um, but when I arrived at the castle by Emily Carroll, it's one of my favorites. Um, and then there are a lot of novels that I feel like kind of fit that category better. Um, okay. Some favorites are Our Wives at Sea by uh, Julia Armfield and Summer Sons by Lee Mandalo. Those are both like excellent uh, queer romance horror novels. Yeah, the, uh, the the one for me in recent memory was House of uh, House by or House of the Cerulean Sea. Like oh that, yeah, that was so good, so sweet. It was just very very nice. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. Well, let's pull it back to Hills. Um, Kat meets Mari, who has this kind of thing where she has to return to the family roots, the family nexus um, after her grandmother passes. And they're both kind of pulled into this larger conflict when Mari's family legacy kind of begins to unveil itself. So talk to me about developing them as a character. Um, yeah, so I feel like Mari and Kat are both pulled from like different parts of my personality and also people in my life. Um, they're so different from each other, but in a way that really works. So uh, part of their dynamic was actually inspired by my relationship with my girlfriend. Okay. Um, She's definitely more of the like Mari character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So Kat came to me first, like much more fully formed. And Mari was like more work to develop as a character. Um, She's definitely more grounded and like introspective and a planner. And she's not very outgoing, but she's really loyal. Um, I actually think she's my favorite character after finishing the book. Okay. Yeah. What was the the sister's name? That was the one that resonated with me. So oh, maybe really? Anna? Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's just my personality. But yeah, she, she, she was the one that I was drawn to. Oh, she's um, great. I like her a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you used a fair bit of like current technology kind of to move the, the narration along. Um, I really like that aspect. I mean, I, I have a teenager myself. He's 15. So it feels really current and kind of appealing to to that younger target audience. Um, I saw a Twitter reference in there. I mean, we're all going through like, is Twitter going to die? What's happening with social media? Blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. so w- was there ever a reservation about kind of embracing modern communication that fully? You know, I feel like you kind of you either got to avoid it and set it your story pre-1990 when nobody had cell phones and nobody could text all that or just kind of go full on and embrace it or it just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, I felt like it had to, I had to put some of that in there because I wanted it to be contemporary and not have like weird kind of anachronistic blind spots or anything. Sure. But I tried also not to like let myself get too bogged down with things being like current or trendy um, and just like sprinkle in only what felt essential to move the story along. So I didn't want to like 
looked like I was trying too hard to like be cool for the teens or um, make it feel really dated. Yeah. No TikTok thrown in there then. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, kind of my background is in anthropology. So I'm always looking at like the material culture that people create in their comics. Um, I know it's a little weird, but I think it's one of the things that that makes this book so much more visually appealing. Um, you know, microphones, uh, the hats that they're wearing, the glass style, the you know, eyeglass style, a Black Lives Matter sticker, even the nod to the way, you know, websites used to look a decade or two ago, hair color, you kind of outdone yourself with these little details that that really help ground the book in place so you know i'm just curious kind of how you went about settling setting out your your paneling structure because there, there's this really beautiful mix of simplicity i mean it doesn't do what like the big two do where you know you have these crazy splash pages where all the panels are broken up and in kind of you know weird configurations um but there's these little you know, great topographical additions like those two extra steps that are leading to the front door in the gutter when they're walking into the house at, you know, her grandmother's house. So how do you go about laying your stuff out? Um, well, as far as those little details you mentioned, um, for those, those are mostly just like all notes I wrote to myself kind of in the margins and stuff. And when it came to drawing time, there were so many instances of my editor being like, hey, there's this, like a BLM sticker on this laptop in this page. And then like in the next two pages, it's missing. Um, so just like shout out and God bless my editor, Lily, for catching all those things. Nice. They were, I like wanted, in, I love, I love like little like where's Waldo kind of moments when I'm, when I'm reading comics and I'm like noticing all these things that are informing, you know, the background and like my perception of the characters. So that felt like necessary to, to try to do. Yeah. Um, as far as panels, yeah, I I definitely um, kind of early in my comic making journey uh, tried to do like too many of those like bold panel choices. Um, a lot that were like more inspired by like manga than like big two comics, but like there's still a lot of those like like borderline illegible kind of um, panel choices. Yeah, and now I try really hard to like because like literally, sorry. Legibility is so important, um, especially to like people who are new to reading graphic novels. Um, so now I'm trying to plan like only doing those in like key moments or like transitional um, pages. Just like it's fun to do weird little like splashy things, but yeah, like I try to like really reserve my my use of them. Yeah, I mean, even the the lettering I thought was was very approachable. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny that you're you're sort of referencing the the manga stuff because like, and even flipping through that is one of the things I immediately like the onomatopoeia. You just get this whoosh, that goes across like the entire page. You know? Yeah. Um, which is which is great in a fight scene, but that doesn't work for you know uh, connecting two individuals who are starting to fall for each other. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, it seems like a good spot to take a quick break. Hey, y'all. Jimmy recently scored me a signed, personalized copy of Hallow's Eve from Erica Schultz after our interview. You've probably had this problem, too. I got this great book. Now, how'd I display this thing? Well, I discovered this great product from Crafty Comics that lets you showcase your treasured comics, and they even have options for already slab books, too. I got their Flex Frame, 
which is amazing as you can customize the backing and it even has interchangeable watercolors to coordinate with your space. I opted for neutral gray to match the blue in my room. You can hang portrait or landscape and it comes with a template to make it easy to ensure that you get it exactly where you want it. To my surprise, my wife who tolerates my comic stuff was actually impressed with the overall quality and look. Win! So if you're looking for the perfect solution to showcase your own collection, visit craftycomics.com online. That's crafty with an I. Use the discount code YETI5 and get 5% off your order. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, you kind of had this interesting breakpoint too with um, black gutter choices. I think that was like part seven. Did you play around with that and see what worked the best? Or was that always kind of your intent from the beginning? Because that was a really interesting transition point um, because I felt like that slow burn that I kind of referenced at the beginning. And I was wondering, okay, how scary exactly is this going to be? And then you ramped it up. And I don't want to give a lot away, but like (laughs) you you ramped it up fast. You know, was that part of, of that? Was that part seven is like, okay, escalation. Yeah. I, well, I know I like from the beginning, I knew I wanted to, um, there's a certain cave scene that happens in part seven that I knew I had to have black gutters for. There were just like certain design choices that I wanted to make that like, that was the way that they were going to really pop and really feel eerie and kind of claustrophobic. Um, so I ended up deciding, like at first I was thinking like, okay, maybe when they're in this one space, there there will be black gutters. But then it made more sense to just do black gutters whenever it's night, just to like signal like the passage of time and stuff. Um, sure. And I think that really worked. I think I'm going to use that in future projects because there is something about like reading a comic and you can't tell like how many days have passed um, or just like being lost in time. So I really liked having like those visual signals and it did work out really well in that, in that specific section where it's like, okay, it's night shit's going down. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you actually ended up, um, kind of, and I'm curious about how this all happened, but a little bit of help uh, with putting things together. So you had, um, Nakata Whittle, is that, uh, did I pronounce their name correctly? Uh, Nikita. Nikita. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you had Nikita come in and kind of do uh, coloring work on the project. So like almost 400 pages, did you just decide, nope, not, you know, I'm done here. This is too much. Let's find somebody else to cover it. Did you already have that relationship? How'd that come about? Um, I mean, basically that was what happened. Like I'm, okay. I'm really slow at digital coloring, um, like really, really slow. Okay. And I, I find it really boring um oh it breaks my heart it's, it's the thing that i'm i'm like i'm really sorry interested. i'm no no it's it's cool i'm trying to like i'm an aspiring colorist so it's oh, funny. Cool. this is yeah go ahead yeah i like i love inking and i like knew that i needed color in it um but i just like there's something about the process that just like it like grinds me down okay. um so like i knew that if i tried to color it myself the book would take me so much longer Um, And I was kind of flip-flopping at the beginning, like when I was in the pitching process of like whether I wanted to just like suffer and like just take it on um, or whether, yeah, I was kind of like, okay, like maybe I'll like become faster as I go was my thinking. Or like if I should just give up this control, which I've never really done before, um, but like keep my sanity. And my agent, uh, Maria, really helped me kind of like kind of guided me to the right decision of like, no, please don't do this to yourself. Like you can get a colorist. Um, 
And it was definitely the right decision. Um, like working with the Cato was so great. They were like very responsive and like flexible and like really like tried to understand my vision and like just get on board with it. Um, and there was definitely like a learning curve to give up control over part of my projects. I'm so used to like doing everything myself. Um, but they did a great job and I like think they did better than I would have done if I was like, <laughs> like just putting myself through the ringer to, to finish the grind, it. Yeah. Yeah. Grind through it. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting to me because kind of in the acknowledgement section, you were talking about the importance of this artist retreat that you want to in 2020, kind of helping you coalesce this together. So, you know, you just mentioned it. Collaboration is one of those amazing aspects of comics, Um, kind of as opposed to prose where you're kind of more working alone, you know, until editorial review comes in. But, you know, what has having that community, how's that helped you make a better book? You know, I mean, it, obviously it, it took a lot of the pressure off of you. Like, oh, no, I have to color this. Wait, I don't have to color this. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Um, <laughs> um, so bouncing ideas off of other people has, like, always been really invaluable invaluable to me. Yeah. Um, sorry, I have to drink water. <laughs> oh, you're good. I was like, wait, I'm allowed to drink water. <laughs> you're, you're, you're allowed to drink water. Yeah, I don't have to just like keep going while my throat is dry. Okay, no, it, um. <laughs> no, yeah. Got to take care of yourself. That's what we're yeah. talking about with this question. So it's pretty uh, it's relevant. Yes. Um, I was just in the zone, but I was like, wait. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's something so magical about having a space like that, like that um, retreat that you're just like, the space is just like set aside from your regular life. And it's just for making art and like finding community and like being around people while they're making their own work. There's just something about that that feels like, I don't want to get too like mushy, but it feels like almost sacred. Like there's like this energy at that kind of thing. That's like, it just helps like unstick my brain and really get like ideas flowing. And it's just such a place to like, really get like excited about projects and about your work and about other people's work. And like, I don't know. it's. I, I definitely need to make the time to do something like that again. Um, Cause like my comic process can be kind of isolating. I do just like draw from home. Um, like I don't have, you know, studio mates or anything. Yeah. Um, but like taking the time to like talk through stuff with a friend or just like get someone to like work side by side with me at a coffee shop or something is like so invaluable to my creativity and also like my mental health. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just starting to something that I'm personally sort of interested in is we're seeing so many and I talked to so many people who have essentially COVID projects. Right. Mm. Um, and, and this seems like a bit of one. I mean, that was in yes. what early 2020 before everything happened. Um, and and I, I'm wondering if just the, as a continuum and this continuity, you know, is that changing the stories that we tell, you know, even if they're not about the pandemic, but, you know, just creating in isolation, you know, um, if you will. So what was that, was that difficult, you know, for you kind of just to, to grind, the, to work on this, to grind through, you know, 400 pages. I mean, that's, that's a lot. You know, yeah. Um, I feel like the timing of this, like I, early COVID days, I worked, I had a job where I, uh, worked with kids and I lost that job. Um, and that was like, 
also while my pitch was out. And so like, I like got my pitch picked up. I got, uh, you know, uh, my advance. I like was like, okay, like I can like actually work on this all day. Um, and it was like, it was good to have something to focus on. Like, I feel like all my like dread and anxiety and everything was just like, okay, like, don't think about it. Just like, look at, just like, look at this sheet of paper and like focus on that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so like maybe not the most healthy, but it was definitely like, help me kind of cope with like how weird my life suddenly was um in a way that like finishing it I like almost felt this sense of grief that was like such a like I don't know it was like this book is like my friend that was with me throughout all that time you know all that weird time um like now what and also like really shaped the way that because this was my first like I've done smaller books before um right but this was my first like really big project. My first project as like a person who only uh, works freelance, like as my whole thing. Um, and so I feel like it really shaped my kind of routines and my like process in some kind of negative ways um, where I'm like now kind of like unlearning, like, oh, like it's not early pandemic days. Like you don't have to just like, I don't know, like focus on this, this thing all day. Like you can leave and you can see people and you can like go for a walk. Yeah. Do, do mental health. Um, Right. Yeah. But like, I'm really grateful for the timing of getting this project. Cause like, I don't know. I don't know what else I would have like put all that energy into. And you would have gone crazy. Um, Probably. Yeah. I feel like so many people either went like they went so hard on a project or they like, kind of lost the ability to work on stuff for a while. Um, and I have friends who are like in both camps. And I really think that like the only reason I was able to like go so hard on this book is like, because I got it right at the start. And because there was like deadlines and like money involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, deadlines matter for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you just kind of mentioned working with kids. And so what, what appeals to you specifically about, you know, working in the YA space? Um, I was working with younger kids, but I, I really like YA. I also, I really like YA comics. I don't read a lot of like YA uh, novels. I also really like stuff for kids, like middle grade stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I think YA specifically is just like, so it's like a ripe space for exploring like really big feelings because of the age range, like big, like, it's just like a big transitional time um, that's so interesting to play in. And there's so many subcategories to YA and like genres within that space. And a lot of my personal favorite graphic novels just happen to be YA. And I do want to, I want to do more YA. I also want to do middle grade at some point too. Like I kind of just want to make comics for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's Yeah. Yeah. I w- I'm sort of on the back burner. Um, I've got a project that I'm working on. And I really struggle with, okay, do I, do I want to try the YA space with this? Do I want to not? And just, you know, it's just, uh, you know, essentially an adult book or whatever. Um, And what, what are those, even, even what, what, what is the line, I guess, is, is where I'm struggling with because um, there's a lot of projects that I see that are labeled YA and they feel like they're, they're too young um, for the, for those, well, 
young adults. Like I hate to call them kids. Yeah. Um, Cause it, it just feels sort of insulting. I see what my, my 15 year old is exposed to and you know, what he's reading and what he's into. And you know, it's, it's just, to me, it's just this weird mental space. Um, but you, I thought you did it like really, really well. Like you hit a really nice pocket. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I'm always looking to do is, is promote more diversity um, on the show in, in general. It's one of the reasons I've reached out to you to set this up to begin with. Um, you're way younger than I am, um, but queer representation in the YA space, especially, is kind of more of a, a new thing, you know? So, what does putting this out there in the world with queer and non binary characters at the forefront instead of as the token character or, you know, playing a secondary role um, where you can put two? queer characters relationships front and center mean to you? Yeah. Um, I mean, it feels essential. Uh, it's definitely like the only type of story I'm the only type of, let me rephrase that. It's definitely like the only way I would have wanted to tell the story. Um, and I think that like the YA world, especially like we're really seeing like so much more of this. Um, we have been like the last couple of years, Yep. like so many, like, super diverse like creators and stories and like not just like oh these people are gay it's like okay this character is like non-binary or like oh like i don't know they're just there's so there's so much more nuance that i'm seeing especially like in ya and not as much in like media for adults which i think is interesting um yeah it's it's exciting though i like really hope the industry like keeps it up and like keeps taking chances on like these diverse creators and stories because like I don't know. It's we've got more, but it's like not enough. Like, let's keep going. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I wonder at times if um, from a publisher's perspective, if if some of those reins are being loosened in that YA space, just just because of the demographics, you know, yeah. um, kids today that that is their normal. Right. It, it, it is not. It is not the abnormal. It is it is their every day. It is, you know, it is the commonplace. Um, and that's what they want to read and that's what they're going to buy. So that's, you know, you, you put your, your money where your mouth is essentially, you know? And, yeah. um, so I wonder if that's, what's pushing it in that space more than the adult space. That's why it's happening. And that transition is happening quicker. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And definitely like, there's just, there's a lot of money in YA, like, cause yep. a lot of adults read it too. Um, so it, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I almost, I'm almost 50. So yeah. Yeah. Um, like it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. As long as it's a good story, like I'm, I'm here for it. Exactly. Um, well, you've got a ton of inedible promotion to do with, uh, with Hills here. So what's after that? You've already alluded to, you've got something else cooking. Um, you want to throw a mention at that or anything else that you're working on? Um, so like the part that I've been the most nervous about is this like post finishing book, like promotion time. Right. I'm, I'm a bit shy. Um, but like, I'm going to get over that. Yeah. We'll see. I'm like, yeah, to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, let's just like, I don't know, work through this. Um, but yeah, I've got, uh, I've got an event here in Austin at my big local indie book people on the 30th of okay. August. Um, and I'll be in conversation with one of my best comic buds, um, Kat Fajardo, who's the creator of Miskin says, which is a middle grade, um, scholastic graphics book. Um, I'll be at Mice Expo in Boston for the first time this September. And yeah, I am working on a new project. It's not announced yet, but I can say it's more horror. And this time it's for adults, like some of my other um, 
previous works. And yeah, I should be announcing that pretty soon. Okay, cool. We'll look for it. I've got actually got friends in Austin, so I'll oh, make nice. a note of that. And they have they have young teens, so I'll, I'll send them your way. Good, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, where can people find you online? Um, I'm mostly on Instagram and TikTok um, or my website. Um, I use AR Frankenstein, like Frankenstein um, on everything. So like arfranklinstein.com is my website or just like that's my handle on Instagram. How's how's TikTok working out for you as a platform for promotion? Or do you use it more just as a personal? Um, I definitely use it mostly for promotion. Um, I'm kind of, like I mentioned, like I'm kind of shy and I'm really trying to like get more comfortable talking about my work because um, I want people to read it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and You're like, doing so, great. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. like but, have to we'll, do that. We'll, we'll clue people in, you know, this this is Ashley's first podcast so I, I get to be i get to be the first you are doing a great job okay thank sorry, you. sorry to interrupt you <laughs> no that's okay um so i've been like using that a little bit as practice of like because it's like i can edit it you know and i can take like a million takes and so it's like really low stakes practice to be like hey here's what i'm working on or like i like have done a few um like book recommendations stuff like that um yeah. i'm keeping it mostly like kind of professional um, I'm not like a, I, it took me so long to get on TikTok. Cause I was like, this is not for me. Um, I feel the same way. Like I feel so much like it. it yeah. It is, yeah. it is uncomfortable, but I, yeah, I like, I have two friends that are both cartoonists here in Austin that were like, it's really good for promoting your work. Like also there's like, you know, there's really cool stuff on there. Like really pressured me to get on it. And I remember like I downloaded it and like, <laughs> it like automatically starts playing videos, which I like. I can't handle like <laughs> I don't know. This is too, like, just, this is abrupt. Yeah. It's so abrupt. It's so like um overwhelming. And it's just like, oh, here's just this like and I like slam my own shut. Um but I feel like now I've kind of like kind of curated. Like I just want to see other people's art or like yeah. animals. And like that's literally yeah. it. Like nothing yeah. else. Yeah, that was that was yeah. my biggest beef at the beginning, but um, because there's a friend who'd been on it for a while, and they're like, "No, you you have to like things. If you don't, all you're going to see is the latest dance craze and scantily yeah. clad people running around, right?" And I'm like, "No, I want more gardening tips, right?" You know? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or so like, show me somebody like cooking, like yeah, from their garden. Like, okay, I'll watch that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, we've seen lately kind of the health impacts that the medium is taking on creators, mental, physical, emotional, all these things kind of came to the forefront with the hashtag comics broke me, which like totally broke my heart. Um, you just completed nearly 400 pages uh, in this project, you know, the course of several years. So, you know, what advice do you have for folks listening in that are struggling creators or people thinking about a career in the field? You know, this is YA. So maybe they're reading that and being like, oh, I would love to do this too. So, so what have you got for them to kind of help them stay? holistically healthy, you know, to address that mental health. I mean, a COVID project. So I think this is especially relevant. You yeah. have to take care of yourself. Um, I'd say for the physical stuff, um, the book Draw Stronger by uh, Creota Wilberg. I don't know if you've okay. read that or seen that. No, um, no. Oh God, it's great. It's like all just like stretches and like explanations on like how you're muscles work and stuff and it's like really informed my daily stretching routine okay um i definitely rec recommend that to like anybody who does like any kind of like 
cartooning, animation, like writing, just like anything we're at a desk for a long time. It's like, oh, it's You're great. Hunched over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and then just like, yeah, developing a stretch routine, um, setting a timer, like to remind you to take breaks and like drink water and like go on walks. Like every time I fall off that routine, it like impacts my physical well-being, but also like my mental health. Like, like those are two are so intertwined. Um and then for mental and emotional, um, honestly, that part's been like such a learning process for me, like specifically on this project. Um, just like taking the time to remember that like I'm a person and not like a comic making machine. And like, I don't know, like learning to like untie my self-worth from like my success or like productivity have been such a big part of the process, um, which is like capitalism, you know, capitalism brain. Um <laughs> yeah. But like. I don't know if you can afford it. Like therapy is like, it's, I like for a long time was like, I don't, what therapy? Like I, I'm not a therapy person, but then I'm like, oh my God. Yes. No, I am. Um, <laughs> Everybody needs a little help. Yes. And like, now and again, there's so many, I don't know. It depends on where you live, but there's like, even if you think you can't afford it, like there are affordable, like low cost options. Like I went to a place that was, um, all online and it was with like a student like student run therapy sessions but they were great and they were like extremely affordable compared to like you know what I would have paid at like a a different place um yeah if you can't do therapy I mean do something else like have check-ins with friends or like other creators that, that can understand like what you're dealing with um just like don't let yourself become an island like you you need other people um and like to take care of yourself and like also there's no shame in asking for deadline extensions like shit happens and like the people that you're working with probably understand that they're they're, they're also people <laughs> yeah 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 that, that have their own problems and you know yeah they, they get it yeah yeah i think that communicate i mean i've I worked um, in the music business for 15 years um, doing production level stuff. And like that, that communication is just so critical, you know, because yeah. it does, everything happens. And it can be so scary at first, especially if you're like new to working with like, like a bigger publisher, it's like, oh no, like they're going to get mad at me if I, you know, need like two more weeks, but it's like, no, they're just a person. Like they, they also like, don't want you to hurt yourself. But they will get mad if you you ghost and don't tell them what's going. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, thanks so much for hanging me out with me today on the show. It's it's been a lot of fun. I can honestly say, as your as your first um, you know podcast experience, you've done great. You have this wonderful light. I hope that like people get out to to like meet you in person and come get your book signed. Um, you're really delightful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, oh, and one more thing before I forget. Um, your bio tells me you like moss. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a, like a gardener <laughs> at heart. I, I like moss too, but I've never seen it in somebody's bio. So tell me about your undying love for moss. And clearly all your TikTok feed is a whole bunch of moss. There is a lot of moss on my TikTok feed. You're right. Um, <laughs> some, of, some of that moss stuff is really cool though. These little terrariums yeah. that people grow. I'm like, how do you have this much time in your life? I don't know. Crazy. I, I don't have it in me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I guess like living in Texas, like seeing moss is so rare. Like there's like a couple places like I know I can find it. 
Um, but it's always like really exciting, I guess. Cause like, I don't know. I'm like more used to seeing like kind of arid, like cacti and stuff like that. Um, succulents. So, yeah. Succulents. So it feels like kind of magical. Okay. Um, and like the colors that moss can be like those like bright greens, like they're so beautiful and they're so soft. And like, every time I travel somewhere, like that has a lot of it, like I like to go, um, to short run in Seattle. I've done that like every year for, for a while. Um, okay, yeah. and I just get like so starry eyed. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's so special how small moss is. And like, I don't know. It's like every like clump of moss is like its own like micro forest. Like there's like all these things like that, you know, are like living in there. It's, I don't know. It's just, there's something really amazing about it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can see that <laughs> like having come from yeah. Texas, I, I lived in the Pacific Northwest for seven years. So we don't have quite the same fondness for moss because it, it will grow on your roof, like in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. I've seen yeah. that. And it, like, it makes your roof look like so enchanted and magical. And I can see why it would be bad, but it's like, okay, now you're a witch. Like if you have moss growing on your roof. Yeah. Well, I can see, see the project you have coming up in the future, which is going to be a story about different kinds of mosses that you won't mind coloring. Yeah. Oh no, that's true. That'd be nice. That'd be yeah. fun. All right. Well, the Hills of Estrella Roja drops in late August. Is that still the timeline? Yes, the 29th. Okay. All right. Make sure to call your local shops. Um, get your order in advance online. Those advance orders matter a lot. Um, I love the book. It's it's a dope book. Help Ashley out here. Um, so whatever kids are saying these days, if it's dope, <laughs> if it's fire, right? It's all these things. It's fantastic. Um, I will continue to beat on this drum, and I have for some time, though. If you want more diversity in comics, you have to support its creators, and that means buying its book, right? Um, so buy it. Um, Ashley, anything else you want to you add and throw in there? Uh, no, just thank you so much. I've had a great time talking to you. All right. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.